everybody. Welcome to today and welcome to Death Valley Girls Podcast. I'm Bonnie and I talk to heroes about what excites them and we also talk about the mysteries of the universe. Yesterday, Death Valley Girls put out our new song and video for Magic Powers. Go check that out if you haven't already. And our full record comes out February 24th. So if you haven't pre-ordered it, now is your chance. Today's guest is a very special part of the Death Valley Girls family, Brian Cook. Brian writes all the bios for us, and you might not realize it, but a band bio is one of the most important parts of a band. It's the first thing people really see when they get to know a band, and it's so important that the person that's writing it is cool. <laughs> uh, we are so lucky to have such an amazingly talented writer and musician write ours. Brian is also in tons of super cool bands, so go check them out. And now, please welcome to your head and heart, Brian Cook. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm hanging there. Oh, thank you so much for coming this, here. Uh, this rainy Thursday morning. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you know this, but this is a heroes podcast where I talk to my heroes and uh about them and all the stuff that they do and i guess uh you know also this is like i realize there's a lot of people that we um work with or kind of are in our circle that i don't really know but i'm just huge fans of and i think that this is like a fun way to get to know you uh and i hope that that's okay <laughs> with you uh, of course i'm into it yeah. Um, well, one thing I wanted to ask you about just to get started is I noticed that uh, you swim uh, in open water. Um, can you talk to me about that? Because I think that's the coolest thing ever. Well, yeah, I I live really close to a big park here in Seattle called Seward Park that's on Lake Washington. And so... In the summer, I go down there every day to go swimming. I usually do like a jog down, swim, jog back. And uh, yeah, that's kind of like my favorite part of of the day during the summer. Uh, yeah. So, and this year, like, I was able to almost the end of October. But uh, after that point, I, I get I, to... Uh, I get too cold. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't, I can't go too far into the, the fall. Yeah. But I have a friend here. I have a, I have a friend here in town who he's like the exact opposite where he has to, he goes swimming in the Puget Sound. So out in the salt water and during the summer months, that's when the jellyfish come in. So he can't swim in the summer at all, but he does it the other nine months out of the year, but I, I'm not, I'm not that heroic. So. <laughs> I think it's pretty heroic. So do you do that like first thing in the morning or? No, um, I usually do that kind of late afternoon because, you know, here in Seattle, I feel like the warmest hours of the day tend to be the late afternoon. So, wow. yeah, yeah. a little easier to rally at, you know, around 4 p.m. And, you know, easier to go swimming if you're sweaty. So That's so cool. Um, I, I'm like a huge uh huge fan of water I, we have like a tiny lake here that i walk the dog around every day and it's just uh i like feel sad if i don't go there so i just i noticed that you do that and i was like that's so cool like water yeah. you can swim in 
Um, are you from uh, Washington? No, I'm, I mean, I guess I've spent most of my life here now at this point, but I was a military brat. So my dad was in the army. And so we moved around a lot until, um, well, until I really, until I started school, like I lived in Kansas and Washington state and Washington DC. And then when I started kindergarten, we moved to Hawaii. And then I was lucky enough to live in Hawaii until I started high school. Wow. And then we moved to uh, Washington state. So my dad was stationed at Fort Lewis. And then I lived in Washington pretty much the whole time since then, barring five years I lived in New York, but. Well, do you ever go back to Hawaii? No. Well, my parents moved back uh, when I started college. So I went back and visited a little bit when, when, you know, I was on spring break and stuff, but I haven't been back since the nineties. Yeah. That Makes me crazy. sad. I'd love to go back, but you yeah. know, hard to, you know, I don't, I don't vacation a whole lot. So yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that that's, I've been thinking a lot about that lately is like, I guess as a person like you that tours all the time, uh, I guess, yeah, it's vacation is a, a strange concept to just like set aside a chunk of time that you're not going to be working um, and just choose somewhere to go for fun is like really a weird concept. But I've been thinking a lot about it lately. I'm like, where would I go as a person and yeah. not a band? <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine that that's a tour manager. He's like, yeah, you know, people always ask where I'd go on vacation because I've, you know, I've been everywhere. And he's like, honestly, I would want to go on a cruise just so I could be in the middle of the ocean <laughs> and like be away from all the cities, just so, like as far away from land as possible, which uh, isn't my philosophy, but, you know, I, I can kind of relate because it's, you know, I'm pretty fortunate that I get to travel a lot and, and go over the world and go to a lot of cities. But I think that also demystifies a lot of the world in some ways. And it also has kind of like, drained my my travel bug battery yeah. so it's kind of like i don't know what sounds nice is staying home and yeah <laughs> yeah so i like where i live and yeah like it seems here. yeah uh and you i you have a dog i do what kind of dog is it i have an australian labradoodle okay it's that covid dog yeah oh really yeah. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's so cool. Yeah. I love seeing your dog. I love doodles. Like I'm not ashamed to admit it, but it's my favorite <laughs> thing in the world. Um, and is your, was your dog a puppy when you got it? Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were in, uh, as I said, we were, it was COVID. So we were looking at shelters and things like that, but you know, it was so hard to find dogs to adopt in the area that weren't like pit bull rescues. Yeah. <laughs> and we we're like, well, you know, I've got no issues with pit bulls. I just don't know if I'm qualified as a first time dog owner to like take on a, a pit bull rescue. So we kind of just dug around and found a breed that, you know, seemed to match our temperament and, and got a puppy and, and he rules. He's like, 
the perfect dog and <laughs> super, super social, super well-behaved, super, super cuddly. Um, Does just, he have friends? Yes, he, he definitely has friends. Yeah. Aww. Like, what's his schedule? I'm just I know this may be not interesting to anybody, <laughs> but I just want I'm just curious, like, what is because my dog, I'll just say, is like I wake her up every morning and she's like, Neh. and then we go on the walk, which is like the highlight of the day. And then she kind of wants to go for a ride at some other point in the day. And then she goes to bed at like six o'clock. She's just like, I'm out. Uh, what's <laughs> your dog's schedule like? Uh, he's pretty lazy. You know, he'll, he'll, <laughs> cool. usually, he'll usually run in and, and get into bed with us. <laughs> around seven or so in the morning, but not with any sort of like urgency for us to get up just to kind of be like, all right, the sun's up. So I'm just going to remind you that I'm here and yeah, snooze next to you. That's awesome. That's pretty lucky to find that. My sister got a golden doodle. Who's a good, she's a good girl, but she, you know, they like most puppies need like a lot of stuff. So it's yeah. cool that you have a, a sweet lazy dog that's like uh ideal um but yeah, he, he's lazy but he's also like ready at any given moment to like <laughs> culture, which is kind of perfect so it's just like you know i don't feel too guilty if it's raining all day and he doesn't really get the chance to go on any longer walks or things like that but at the same time if you're you know if you decide very randomly just to go on an adventure he's always he's always game yeah and, and he loves to swim so that's good he goes he goes swimming with his dad sometimes which is oh nice. cool and i guess like uh also is that you are uh you are our band biographer i guess you, you could say <laughs> you know like as close to a band biographer as we can have and you're just like a super amazing writer um and I feel like you get, I it, I've always been like really impressed that you kind of get like what we're trying to say, even though I feel like we're kind of weird. And I, I just wonder what's your process for writing like, um, you know, band bios. It's such an, it, like, it's so cool, but it's like such a, to me, it seems like the hardest thing in the world to know what to write. Can you tell me how you like go about writing that stuff? Yeah. Uh, just for context for people listening, I, I, uh, I work for a few different record labels and whenever artists have new records, I help write new bios and press releases, uh, for their work. So that's just kind of a, a side job that I do. And I kind of fell into it on accident. Like I did some, you know, music writing on like personal blogs and stuff back in the, the early OOs. And then kind of got picked up by a local alternative weekly newspaper here in Seattle called The Stranger to do some freelance writing for their music department. And then that kind of just grew into, you know, friends reaching out being like, hey, will you, you know, will you do our bio for our website and things like that? And now it's just something I've been doing for, oof, I don't know, <laughs> 15 years or so. Oh, um, but you know, it kind of, it came, it came out a little bit from working as a, a writer for the newspaper, just because I would get so many bios in the mail 
or in, in email and they always read like really bad sales pitches and it was, yeah. like, it was kind of depressing just because it's <laughs> like, you know, there was like bullet points that they were trying to get, but it was all sort of related to the band's marketability and things like that. And I always felt sad for the bands for one thing, just because it <laughs> like it was commodifying them in a weird way but i also just as a writer thought it was so fucking boring because it was just like it was, wasn't interesting and it didn't really tell you why the record was interesting or why the artist was interesting it was just trying to figure out a way to like make you feel like other people were going to be talking about it so you have to talk about it too and that's just i don't know that's that's not interesting to me and i really struggled to like read these press releases because they were so depressing in nature so <laughs> me, you know it's it was way more interesting to like you know write a bio that was really more like an artist statement and and really trying to tap into what the artists were trying to say or what point they're trying to get across with their music and i think ultimately for me that's what's sort of that's really what's interesting about music is how it bridges connections between people. You know, it's another form of communication. It's another language um, that doesn't have some of the, you know, ingrained uh, flaws of the actual spoken language. Like there's other things that get communicated through sounds that are way more interesting and, uh, you know, figuring out how to help, uh, convey that sometimes I think is, I don't know. I think for me, it's been helpful as an artist just to talk with other musicians about their process and their goals and the context of their music. Um, but I also sort of see it as, man, it's hard to, it's hard to explain. I, I sort of have this like very uh, idealistic view of music where there isn't really like bad music out there. You know, there's music that maybe you don't like, um, but like every music is, all music is made by someone that cares about it and that is trying to convey something and share something. And you might not be the target audience for that. Yeah. But there's still something I feel that can be gleaned from like hearing another artist's voice, you know, their creative side. So I think, doing things like bios is really interesting because a lot of times, um, you know, I'll hear something that I'm hired to write on and I just don't really get it. But through the act of like talking with the artist and, and getting their perspective on it, you know, it opens up this whole new perspective and appreciation for their music. And to me, that's so much more interesting than like turning on the radio and finding a pop song that you really like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you write, it's almost like the way you write, it's like fiction. It's like so exciting. It doesn't seem real. And it seems like you just make it sound so exciting. And it isn't like, yeah, those, those boring things. It's the things I wouldn't want to say, like we've played these shows and we toured with this guy (laughs) and this guy likes us and you know, all that stuff. That's like, it yeah it you create an opportunity for us to get like the point out of like the purpose of the 
of the art, not like, yeah, like this is why you should book them at your festival. It's like, yeah. uh, which I think, and it, it does sound, it seems like, do you write, I guess, do you write fiction? Cause it seems like you'd be really good at that. Uh, I do, but sort of very much on the side. Um, <laughs> actually kind of funny. I didn't start writing fiction until I was already, already working at the stranger or I shouldn't say I worked at the stranger. I was a freelance writer for the stranger, but once I started doing a lot of music writing in that capacity, um, you know, I, I got kind of tired of talking about um, heavy music because I was sort of the go-to guy for like heavy metal bands. Cause I think I was their only contact that like, <laughs> <laughs> like heavy metal <laughs> So I wrote about a lot of bands that sounded like Black Sabbath and things like that. And, you know, <laughs> you know, I felt like I needed an outlet to write about something other than like guitars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if only just to like, you know, learn to expand my vocabulary and like just toy around with different sort of writing forms and things like that. So it, it became like a side exercise um to write fiction um just to really just to sort of help enable my career writing um by like exercising another part of my brain so i, I did a self-published novel oh cool 2013 um and then i've been working on another novel for basically 10 years since then so i don't think it's ever going to be done but uh yeah, you know, whenever I have a couple of weeks where I don't have band stuff uh, that's sort of vying for my attention, I, I usually work on that. So I'm, I'm on like my 10th draft of this novel. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. That's so cool. That's a. I mean, I like at some point during the COVID part, I was like, I'm going to write a book. Like yeah. I. I'm going to write a book. It's going to be because I had this idea of like all the things that um, that like when you're on tour every day, there's something so like so egregiously, ridiculously wrong that someone does not like within the band, but just like an opening band or a booking or whatever it is like or promoter mainly. And I was just like, I'm going to start each chapter with like just saying like the rules of how to like be professional in this situation and then just go off on some story. And I was like, this is a really good idea. I'm going to talk to my like, uh, you know, editor friends or whatever. And it was there like, Hey, just so you know, this is like a full-time job. Like you can't yeah. just like kind of yeah. write a book and then just like flop it out. And they're like, if you want to do this, you know, it, it's like a huge thing. And so I, I, I didn't, but I think that it's so cool that you are a writer and you wrote a book and you're writing a book. Like, that's crazy. That's so much work. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. But I would also, I don't know, I, I, I'd, uh, I'd argue that, like, you know, you don't have time to do it. Um, I, I don't know. My, my, my <laughs> attitude towards writing is very much the same as my attitude towards making music in that I think, yeah, if you're trying to, if you're aiming to be a professional in like a, a career minded person in that field, then 
it's a pretty huge undertaking to, you know, write a book or make an album and have it be, you know, hugely successful. But I feel like most things that are really uh, important in my life or, or the works that have really resonated with me don't tend to be made by people who are extremely aspirational endeavors. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like, well, I really just need to do this and get this out of my system. And uh, if no one cares about it, that's fine, but at least I, I did it. And so that's, you know, that was my approach to writing. I was just, when I wrote a book, I was just kind of thinking about Aaron Comet bus and, you know, the Comet bus scene and things like that, where it's just handwritten, you know, little memoirs and stories about his life and, done done more like a, a zine than like a serious publication but you know i love reading comet bus and you know aaron comet bus has a huge reputation within our world for being a writer so why not just approach it that way you know yeah so much of my thinking really goes back to like being 16 years old and really into punk culture and things like zines and you know records that get 500 copies made and things like that, where it's just like, yeah, no one's going to get rich and famous doing this, but like you make something that connects with other people and you can have like that one-on-one -on -one interaction with them because it's such a small inclusive world. And that to me is way more exciting than, you know, trying to be, I don't know, Maroon 5 or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. That's cool. Do you, um, how did you like start playing music and all, all of that stuff or get uh, into, get into this stuff? Cause I feel like, especially with punk and things like that, and just like, um, uh, small scenes, there's always like, uh, you know, there's always a way you get into it. Uh, yeah. what's the way you got into it? Well, I mean, I was, I, I was drawn to music early on and you know even as like a seven-year-old i was listening to the radio and, and taping songs off the radio onto my cassette deck and you know most of my my interests at that point were either you know sort of top 40 music or like sort of old uh kind of old folky stuff you know my, my mom was really into simon and garfunkel and she would listen to radio stations that had like you know uh Randy Van Warmer and uh Jim Crochet and things like that or you know Gordon Lightfoot yeah so so I yeah. I really liked that stuff as a kid and then you know as I got closer to adolescence uh and you know you start sort of getting drawn to music that your peers listen to it was sort of like the height of hair metal and so I had like a very brief hair metal phase but I was more interested in uh, stuff that was on late at night on MTV. So things like the cure or Depeche mode or the pixies or, you know, the early REM albums and things like that. And so I kind of got sort of into the late eighties, early nineties, alternative culture, and then uh, got really into skateboarding and through skateboarding kind of, you know, would read Thrasher magazine and Thrasher magazine always featured bands and things like oh, that. Cool. Yeah. They'd, they'd have like the sessions catalog ads in the back that had, you know, t-shirts for bad religion and the misfits and things like that. So I, I sort of like 
it sort of had that stuff on my radar, but I was living in Hawaii at the time. So access to that actual music was really limited. You know, it was pre-internet era and all that. Yeah. Uh, that's so, so interesting. Cause I, I mean, I, I don't know too much about the uh, Hawaiian music scene, but I imagine that, I mean, like most places, I guess there isn't that many like all ages or, you know, like uh, all ages clubs where you can just, or maybe even like a, college radio because that's how I got into it it's like here we have KXLU and I just listened to that and you know like believed everything the DJ said and went to like the all ages shows and stuff like that and it was really easy but I guess that's cool it's like MTV you know like that's that's super cool I mean that was kind of the gateway you know they'd have shows like 120 minutes or postmodern and uh you know, and then it was skate culture that got me into it. And I had a friend uh, who made me a mixtape that had suicidal tendencies and Fugazi and dead Kennedys on it. And that, that was sort of like, that was the big eye opener where, you know, hearing those bands for the first time, I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. Like, this is music that like, like I get it, but I, also get that most people won't get it <laughs> and that was like cool i felt like secret society stuff you know yeah that's so cool like I, i'm pretty obsessed with the idea that like a cassette or a physical thing just changes your whole life before there is this like um where everything is accessible it's still like i'm i it's still shocking to me that we like carry these squares in our pocket that has every single thing in the world ever, you know, and you can access anything at any time, which I think is cool, but it's just, I'm like, I still, I'm like, man, like the, yeah, those like mixed cassettes or whatever, where you're just like, just change your whole life. And if not for that, you know, uh, finding that and that leading to so many other paths, like you might be a totally different person. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, know, like you said, I don't want to be, you know, a total Luddite or like a grumpy old man where it's like, oh, things were better back when they were hard because that's (laughs) that's false. But, you know, I do think there's some truth to, you know, not having everything immediately at your disposal uh, makes you value the few things that you have so much more. And I remember, you know, there was a hardcore label called ebullition that I was really into. And they, they had a zine called heart attack. And one of the things that <laughs> the, the main writer kind of threw out there is he's like, you know, what? I don't want ebullition records to be everywhere. I want them to be hard to find. Like I'm not going to put barcodes on the records because all you're doing by putting a barcode on your record is making it available to be sold at the mall or at tower records or whatever. And he's like, and I don't need this to be, at the mall like this has more value if it's something that like you have to seek it out and has to like gather momentum by word of mouth and you know you have to like seek it out and uh you know i think that's kind of a fascinating approach um and as an artist i definitely prefer having my music to be accessible to anyone that wants to hear it but you know i do think there's a trade off where I don't think 
people listen to music as intimately as they used to just because there's so much vying for their attention and uh that makes it that makes it kind of difficult you know it's like you put out a record and people will talk about it for a week or two and then they're talking about something else and the culture revolves around the internet instead of people just talking to each other one-on-one and like sharing yeah that's kind of sad yeah i forgot actually that's really cool that you say that because i forgot about that that was like the energy of excitement about something and sharing that versus like the algorithm is really interesting. It's just like the idea of something moving you enough to share it in a real way is probably so much more powerful. Um, but I guess, yeah, you're, you're in a lot of bands. Uh, <laughs> and I guess I'm just curious uh, if, if it's okay, is like, what's your favorite part of, being a musician um what's your favorite part i wonder (laughs) well i mean you know there's definitely hard parts about being a musician and there's definitely uh there's definitely downsides to it you know everything that you make falls under criticism and becomes like a public thing that people can voice their opinion on so it's you know you're under a lot more scrutiny (laughs) than you know someone that works at a tech company and is sort of hides behind code um so that there is that that makes it difficult but i mean making music is just a very satisfying thing and like do you do you prefer like writing recording touring um not that (laughs) in between like and you know, I not that are, I know what I think for myself. I'm just curious what you know you think. <laughs> I think they're all very different things, you know. And I think part of the reason I've been lucky enough to keep doing this um, for so long, because I mean, I'm, I'm 45 years old, and I started touring when I was 18. Um, but I think I just I love all of it. Like I really enjoy the creative process and writing. Um, I can't say I really love recording because I tend to find recording more stressful, but yeah. <laughs> you know, it's also sort of like by the time you're done with recording, then, you know, it's, it's worth it. So I, I don't ever dread going into the studio. It's just, I think a lot of times the studio have more anxiety than, uh, than like nervous excitement with that. But, uh, you know, I love writing, I love performing and I love, really most aspects of touring. There isn't a whole lot about touring that I don't like. Like I don't mind driving. I don't mind loading gear. I don't mind setting up, you know, um, all of it's fun for me. So I think it's been helpful uh, avoiding burnout just because there isn't any aspect of it that I really hate, except maybe airports. I hate airports. Okay. Going to airports, you know, flying is being on the plane's fine, but just everything else about flying sucks. Um, yeah, I'm terribly afraid of flying, which is not that great for this job. <laughs> but that, yeah, airports kind of suck too, uh, for sure. <laughs> but and it's but you know I like every aspect of it, but um, I also am sort of keenly aware of 
you know, if I just tour and that's it, like the performing side of things loses some of its luster. And alternately, like, even though there's a lot of satisfaction in writing and creating, like at some point, if you don't really have the chance to just perform it and play it in real time, I feel unsatisfied. And that's a really like a big thing about modern music that I kind of struggle with in a lot of ways, because to me, just the act of playing music, even if you're just doing it alone at home um, is so gratifying, but as music veers more and more towards automation and like, you know, uh, having more and more of the process being handled by technology and things like that. I I find it, I don't know. I I I guess I just feel sort of sad about it because I feel like people are missing out on an intrinsic joy in, in music. So, uh, I don't know. That's a bit of an aside, but over. I think that's cool. I think, because I, I mean, I, I hate practice. Like I hate when, (laughs) to be honest, like the thing I, dislike or not hate but i dislike the most is practice like just playing the set for not people to me just drives me crazy because it's like (laughs) i don't have like a am a pretty extreme person where it's like i'm if i'm gonna sing it i'm gonna sing it all the way it's not like i can do like a practice version where i'm just kind of giving a little bit and like doesn't you know whatever have any effect on me uh but i think the it's kind of like running or exercising in this way that it's like it does something to your body to feel those things and do those things. And I guess if you're not really physically doing too much, the I guess the reward center in your brain is more focused on the outcome of how, you know, like, and, and I think that that's, that's not good. I don't think, I think being totally focused on the outcome and not the process is, is bad. I yeah. can be so bold. I think that that's a, a bad thing to train in yourself is to just wait for that or just be interested in the outcome of something. I think the greatest part of life is being into not the outcome, you know, like, and I wonder if, yeah, I wonder as we speed up in every way and do things more technologically, if that's just reinforcing like bad parts of our brain, not bad parts of our brain, but not the right reward centers, you know? Uh, Does that make sense? No, I mean, I think that's, that's totally true. You know, it's the, I mean, people always sort of need the carrot on the stick on some level as like this, you know, motivator that's slightly out of reach because I, I feel like as a species, we just sort of need this, uh, we need this drive to think that things can be better, you know, and that, that things can be recalibrated and, and yeah, just that there's a better future on the horizon. So even with like creative stuff, it's like, if you're working on a song, just the idea of like eventually having this like perfectly formed song is the thing that keeps you going. And then when you finish that song and it's documented and it's recorded and it's fixed in, you know, etched into vinyl or whatever, you know, 
I never feel like, you know, dusting off the hands is like, well, I did. (laughs) Rest of of life is just posting, you know, it's like, no, then you want to, you want to write another one. You start realizing that that song isn't really a reflection of who you are anymore. And you you just need to like, kind of, kind of keep it going. So, you know, it's, it's a, yeah, I don't know. It's definitely about the process and, and not the outcome especially since so often the outcome is, isn't something that you can really control. You know, the way people respond to your work is never going to be exactly what you anticipate. Um, so all you can really do is do the thing that brings you joy in the process and then hope that it resonates with other people. You know? Yeah. It's so weird. I didn't, you know, like, I don't, I just have been thinking about that a lot is, uh, just because of like struggling or whatever and not like hating all these things and thinking something good is going to be there later. Um, Mm -hmm. And then realizing how much time I wasted just like being like, well, it'll be, you know, once we put the record out, then I'll be happy. Or once we do this thing, then I'll be happy. And it's like, just try and be happy now, or at least just, just try and be, be here now, man. You know, it's just like, I've just been thinking about that so much lately is like, yeah um there's so many yeah there's never an end especially if you're like an artist it's not like oh i put out that record and now i'm just gonna like celebrate that for the rest of my life it's all just yeah yeah, you have to like enjoy the day you're in um or else it's gonna just pass by too fast um you know (laughs) and i mean it's you know no one I mean, it should be fairly obvious, but like no one that has success with a creative endeavor is then happy afterwards with just coasting, you know, every artist (laughs) then goes on to be like, well, I should be able to do that again. I should be able to do something better, you know, and people struggle, artists struggle when, you know, they get that, that taste of success and then they can't replicate it. So it's, you know, it's, you know, long story short, I think it's just always important to remember that it's not about the outcome, but it's about the process and and enjoying what that is. And I feel like if you're enjoying the process, then the outcome almost doesn't even really matter. You know, it's, it still hurts if you make a record and no one listens to it, but you know, the, I also just always sort of assume that you know, even if people don't appreciate something now, people might appreciate it five years down the line. You know, it, you'll find someone that connected with it and speaks highly of it eventually. And, you know. Yeah. It'll, it'll mean something to someone. So, yeah, I definitely feel that. I, I feel like I, I really feel that way now as I'm like, this is probably not going to make any sense right now. And it's going to probably seem pretty weird, but at some point in the future, someone is going to be like, Oh, did you know people made this kind of shit? Like back then, <laughs> like, you know, like, uh, you know, imagining like a super dystopia or super utopia in the future, like finding the record and be like, Whoa, like this is, they were thinking about this stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of like, that's uh, on a lot of levels. That's sort of way y'all's new records about really i mean isn't it like yeah no yeah i yeah totally but yeah i'm like pretty uh, just thinking about that more than ever before it's like i never really thought about what anybody is gonna think 
you know, like not in a like, I don't care, but like, I just didn't, it's just like, I feel compelled to do it. I guess probably you do too. You're an artist. You feel compelled to make this stuff. But this time I'm like, oh, I think, yeah, at some point this is going to be like, it's so weird even to me that I'm like, this is, someone's going to be like, whoa, this is so weird. (laughs) Just the same way I feel about like weird stuff from like the sixties and seventies, like kind of like, you know, outsider art or avant-garde stuff is how I feel about our shit right now. We're just like, what? Uh, But (laughs) I mean, that's uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's somewhat of the joy of it. You know, I think making, I think making good art really sort of requires you to be a selfish person on some end, because you really just have to make the thing that you want, you know? And it's like, if you start thinking too much about, the perception other people are going to have of it or what the reception is going to be like, you know, it's, it's going to be somewhat compromised and, you know, I I think people will see through it. I I think for me a lot, you know, for so much of my life, I've been very cynical about popular music just because it feels like it's so targeted towards appealing to a large group of people. Um, that it can't really have a lot of personal investment on the side of the artist in it because they're, they're really trying to connect with as many people as possible instead of like connecting with themselves. And I think over time I've gotten a little less cynical with that. I think making good pop music still sort of requires that whoever's doing the writing and the performing has a connection with it. But at the same time, so much of that stuff is, filtered and vetted through so many different people and producers and, you know, uh, yes, men saying (laughs) their, their thoughts on it, that it's like, you know, so often you just have to say, fuck all that. And, you know, write a weird experimental record in your bedroom. You'd be like, this is, this is is pure. This is the real thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No no one's going to get it. I don't even know what the fuck I'm making, but you know, that's uh that's that's what keeps art moving forward and that's what keeps things interesting yeah that's cool well is there um is there anything coming up uh in your uh personal future that you would like to tell uh the listeners of the podcast (laughs) oh i don't know this i feel like last year was like the really crazy year you know covid ended and I think everyone was really vying to get back out there and do things. So yeah, I put out Russian circles, put out a new record last year. Yeah. Congratulations. That was so cool. Thanks. Yeah. We're we're stoked on that. Uh, I play in another band called Sumac and we put out a record with uh, this uh, Japanese uh, experimental musician named Keiji Haino. Um, So we did that. And then, yeah, I used to play in a band called These Arms Are Snakes. And we did some reunion shows, which were really more like final shows that we postponed for 10 years. But <laughs> we kind of finally did that. And we put out, we, we reissued a bunch of material. Yeah. Then uh, an even older band than that that I played in called Botch. Yeah. Uh, wrote a new song. And, uh, you know, we're gearing up to do some shows in February. So 
it's been it's been busy, but so far this year looks a little quieter. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't have any new records coming out anytime soon. So, and we've gotten all the main touring off of the most recent records done last year. So, yeah, hopefully more um, more time with the dog. Yeah. You know, how do you happens. feel? How do you feel? Like, what do you? Do you think 2023 is a positive is going to be a positive year for the uh, world? <laughs> Do you have any vibe Ooh. on that? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. You know, okay. I, you know, I, I can only really view the world through my lens. And I feel like uh, the last, I don't know, couple of years, I've just, you know, I've stopped, uh, really being glued to what people are saying online about right. cultural landscape, just because it's, you know, it's, I don't think it's healthy. You know? No, I, I, yes, I, you, <laughs> you need not explain that it's not healthy and it's not even real. It's, yeah. it's just, it's floating by and it, or it's buzzing by violently buzzing by, but I guess someone, someone asked me that yesterday and I was like, and I, I didn't like being asked. I don't know why I asked you that, but I was like, oh, maybe he has a better answer than me. I was, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, I sort of hope that people are moving away from that sort of dependency on on social media as a primary source of information, just because, well, there's certainly benefits to it. You know, I just, it's so much better to just wake up in the morning and read the newspaper They'd be like, okay, that <laughs> the world written by like journalists that have, you know, gone to journalism school and yeah. like, you know, actually done their research as opposed to like looking on Twitter and having some anonymous figure scream at you about something you're supposed to care about. It's being like, I don't know who you are or what your credentials are. Or yeah. You could it's- be like a 16 year old who doesn't know anything, or you could be like, a 70 year old who also doesn't know anything like it's just. Yeah, no, it's, I think there was a point. I mean, I didn't, I, I'm like the same age as you basically. And it's like, it, there was a point where there wasn't that much stuff on the internet. Like you couldn't find everything on the internet. And it was like, you kind of look like, I don't remember like Google it and you'd be like, Oh, it's not there. And then now it's like, so it's so insane. Like I Googled yesterday. I was like, trying to take a medicine. I was like, should you eat first? And there was like all different, every different answer. Like definitely don't eat first. You could get whatever if you eat first, you know? And I was like, oh my God, it's that, that's really at this point, there is not only conflicting, but like every, everything is on the internet. And it's like, it's almost best not to look or something. It's like, you know, it's, total confirmation bias if you believe something you can find someone on the internet that that like affirms that and it's it's so weird it's it's super weird it's so weird to me because it's just watching this I think I guess in a way I'm optimistic that it's an exciting exciting time to be have lived in a world where it was so quiet and there wasn't any of this and now to get to kind of see it, but I feel like it's also so spooky. It's like, Oh my God. Like, yeah. Like there's no way to, or you have to form your own opinion. Uh, And yeah, I guess read the newspaper. 
Um, but I do want to say before I let you go is like, I really thank you so much for um, being you and writing um, so much cool stuff. I think, I don't know if you know how much uh, people just like read what you wrote as like, as if it was like the Bible. They're like, this is not even knowing it's like our bio. It's just like, they're like, look at these beautiful <laughs> words about, you know, and they'll read it to me. And I'm like, Brian made that. Like, that's not, oh, wow. you know, it's, it's just, you really are amazing. And I think I just wanted to tell you that. Um, oh, well, thank you, Bonnie. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope uh, we get to see you soon. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Is there any last message you would like to tell the world? Oh, you know, I feel like I get that. I feel like that's uh, the common way you're supposed to wrap up these interviews. And I always draw a blank. <laughs> I have no, I have no uh, parting words of wisdom, unfortunately. I wish I did. But... No, that's okay. I think you may, uh, you this is chock full of words of wisdom uh we could just end it on the regular way which is goodbye well uh that works for me too thanks okay. bonnie thank you so much for coming here yeah thanks for having me okay bye <laughs>